Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are. Spooky season is in full swing, baby. And we are bringing to you our Haunted House series. Cannibal Power Hour has come and gone. (laughs) And now we're with the ghosts, baby. Yes. And I think ghost movies are the scariest category to me. For you, especially, yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially considering your history. Yes. (laughs) Lots of screaming and crying. (laughs) But not with this one. No, not with this one. I actually have seen this movie before watching it for the podcast. And it did not make me cry. It did make me scream. I would say that I liked it, but I also didn't like it. Yeah, I don't remember loving it as much as the hype made me seem I liked it when it first came out in like 2010, 2011. Because this is what I'll give it. I believe this is the first James Wan movie we're doing on the podcast, and he's one of my favorite horror directors. He's in charge of the Conjuring franchise as well. Also the Saw franchise. Like he just has banger after banger after banger. So love that about it. And I think that he brought back the haunted house resurgence in the horror genre in a cool way. And especially with how dated, but also up to date this feels. Yes, this movie, it begins in a way that made me think this was going to be pretty standard haunted house movie, but it has some science fiction elements. Yeah, so it does kind of change course. And I remember the first time seeing it being kind of taken with where the story goes, even if I don't like all the characters. (laughs) One in particular. (laughs) One in particular. But yeah, we'll get there. So some pre-plot context, as I mentioned before, this is directed by James Wan, who is also responsible for the Conjuring franchise. And following suit, This film series is often compared to The Conjuring Universe because both are series about paranormal investigators investigating strange occurrences involving malevolent beings and demonic creatures. But I thought this distinction was interesting. However, the Insidious movies are completely fictional, while The Conjuring Universe are fictionalized, not to mention sensationalized, takes on actual paranormal investigations. The Insidious films are primarily set in the present day, while the Conjuring Universe films are all period pieces set in the past. Also, both series are primarily run by James Wan and have Patrick Wilson playing main characters. And also, call back to our Invisible Man episode. This is written by Lee Winnell. So Lee Winnell wrote The Invisible Man, and he also plays a role in this film. He is Stephen or Specs. He is a paranormal investigator. Thank the Lord for Stephen. <laughs> And Tucker. And Tucker. They, wow, the moments of comedic relief in this movie, I am so grateful for them. (laughs) Because it really takes you from feeling just like gut-wrenching anxiety to you're just watching two men like spat over like who's a bigger nerd. And it's so delightful. Also going to go through our ladies just so we don't interrupt the flow of the plot. So our main few that we follow is Renee, who is our mom of this story. She is played by Rose Byrne. She's also in other Insidious sequels, 28 Weeks Later, the X-Men franchise, obviously a shit ton more. My favorite is probably from Bridesmaids. Yeah, that's my favorite That's like what I know her best (laughs) from, but those are her horror adjacent roles. And she actually won Best Actress for her role in Insidious at 2012's Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, which is a big award show for horror movies, which is great. And then we also have Elise, who plays a paranormal investigator, not Elise, co-host of this podcast. (laughs) Shout out to my girl, Elise. (laughs) Elise with an I. (laughs) Played by Lynn Shea. 
Her character's name is Elise, and she's played by Lynn Shay. I know. What a woman. She <laughs> is also in future Insidious sequels. She's also in A Nightmare on Elm Street. She's the teacher. Remember in the classroom scene where Nancy's following Tina's body? What? She's the English teacher talking about Shakespeare or something like that. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. She's also in Critters, Snakes on a Plane, Ouija, Origin of Evil, also a shit ton more. That's just her horror things. And then we have Lorraine, who is Renee's mother-in-law, and she is played by Barbara Hershey. She is a Golden Globe and Emmy-winning actress who's been acting for like 50 fucking years, but these are just her (laughs) horror roles. She is also in future Insidious sequels. She is the crazy mom in Black Swan, which she does so fucking well on the movie. She's so fucking creepy. It has been a minute. I need to return to that film. It's so good. And then she's also in a Omen TV series called Damien, which I didn't know was a thing, but she's in that too. Okay. Yeah, I love Lorraine. I love Elise too. And Renee is okay. Renee tries. You know, Renee should be way more proud of herself than I think she is. Yeah, she's not like a Claire from the Hallow, but she's not like too high above her either. Yeah, she. I think she has low self-esteem, but she's also at a time in her life where she's vulnerable. And we're going to talk about it. We are. So let's go. So how do we open? So we open up. We see a little boy sleeping in his bed as the camera pans through his room, through the house, landing on and zooming into a very, very scary old lady standing in the window looking inside. And then we have a very devilish title card appear on the screen with very cacophonous violin music, which I believe that's how the movie ends as well. Yep. Okay. So we love a bookend moment. Then the opening credits play with these sort of black and white images of a boy sleeping in a house that we end up returning to. So we're kind of getting primed for those moments. And we eventually land on Josh and Renee Lambert in bed. She wakes up first and heads downstairs and starts unpacking boxes. Apparently, they've just moved. She takes some books out of a box, puts them on a shelf. She's trying to do her thing. And then her son, Dalton, joins her in the living room. And he comes downstairs. She's like, what are you doing awake, honey? He's like, I don't like my room. So again, we are sewing the creep, sewing the creep. So they look through some old pictures that Renee is unpacking and he asks to see one of his dad, but she says, we don't have any, honey. He just doesn't have any pictures of dad. And then next thing you know, the rest of the kids are up. Yeah. And it is madness in the kitchen. Oh my God. This is the real horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Three kids. There's no dishes. One is eating cereal on the floor out of a coffee mug. Jump scare, baby. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then the toddler that won't stop screaming the entire time. This baby actor is doing the most. Baby Callie. Baby Callie. (laughs) We are introduced to the three kids of the Lambert family. You have Dalton, who's the oldest, who looks to be about maybe eight, nine. Yeah. Then you have Foster, who looks to be about six or seven. Mm -hmm. And then baby Callie, who's like one, maybe. Yeah. Excellent estimations. I'm so good at this. I really, I'm (laughs) behind you 100%. So Renee is on the phone screaming to talk to a representative because (laughs) they're trying to get their cable working or something. And I like that they juxtaposed her trying to make breakfast for three kids and the kids fighting and her screaming on the phone to her hubby, Josh, getting ready in peace and quiet. He has the time to pluck a gray hair out of his head and he's straightening his tie. And, you know, we hate Josh. (laughs) I'm over here. I'm two thumbs down on Josh. (laughs) Dad comes downstairs. And even like while Renee is on the phone, she's like fixing his collar and stuff like that. I'm like, you're fucking useless. This is like... (laughs) 
crazy. Um, All the time looking at himself in the mirror, he can't even, like, notice his collar needs adjusting. No. He rushes out the door, even in Renee's protest, like, you can't take the kids to school, you can't pick them up. He's like, no, I have a PTA meeting, and rushes out the door. He is a teacher. Which is, like, the job that is the most aligned to being able to take your fucking kids to school. Like, you work at a school, you can't take your kids to school. (laughs) Like, I don't know about that, mister. There are multiple points throughout this movie where I wanted to, like, look at you and be like, how realistic actually is this <laughs> oh as a God. teacher? Because the Wait shit he tries. My favorite part. Oh my, my favorite God. part. The mm-hmm. shit he tries to pull is crazy. He's definitely a history teacher. Of course. He has to be. Or a math teacher. Mm, maybe. Maybe. I never <laughs> liked a math teacher I met, so I'm just going to say he's that. We get a quiet scene of Renee playing the piano and singing, and she's writing her own music while the two boys are at school and Callie is sleeping. And the lyrics that she sings a few times are, yeah, I'm looking west, always looking that way. I'm going to be somebody. I just can't be her today. So it's sad because you get this sense where she's longing Mm -hmm. and maybe she thought she had these crazy ambitions for herself. And then, you know, she got married, had three kids, is now the stay-at-home mom. This isn't the life that she envisioned. Callie cries. So she goes up to comfort her, ends up, you know, comforting her and putting her back down for her nap. And then she hears creaking in the attic. She goes upstairs into the attic, and the way that the attic is set up is there is the light bulb with the string hanging down, but you need to climb on a ladder to reach the string. So she does that, but in the process, one of the ladder rungs breaks. But she looks around. Also, I was like, a furnace kicks on? Yeah. Like, what? doesn't seem alarmed? I'm like, why is there a heating source in your... Is that normal? To have, like, a fire source in your attic? I am only familiar with furnaces like that in a basement. Me too. I am not familiar with furnaces like that in the attic, but I guess if it's an old house and maybe that's the way the heating system is. But yeah, it's giving scary, but she doesn't react to it like it's scary. It also reminds me of the hereditary attic because there's so many rafters. This attic- The ceilings are so high. This- attic needs to be refinished (laughs) the potential i mean the ceilings are so high like you said she has to stand on a ladder to turn on the light my god you could have so much room up there for activities then we cut to night another movie that's night day night day (laughs) all of them all All of them them. is this like a thing okay (laughs) so dad gets home from work which it's like pitch black outside and she has almost unpacked the entire fucking house Like, no more boxes in the living room, dining room. Everything is almost entirely put away. And she asks him if he's seen her box of sheet music, but he hasn't. I love this exchange. Okay. (laughs) Where Josh is like, I know we packed them. And she's like, I know. I packed them. (laughs) Like, just the little details of how inadequate this fucking man is, is fucking infuriating. Anyway. He just knows what she's already told him, and he thinks that he's experienced himself. Mm Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, Dalton is upstairs playing kind of at the top of the steps and he sees the attic door creep open. So he kind of sneaks away to explore the attic and tries to turn on the light, but he can't reach it, ends up stumbling down and falling to the floor. Because of that broken ladder rung. Yes. All of a sudden, we kind of see him like come to and look around and then we cut back to downstairs where the rest of the family is and we just hear him scream off camera. So did he see something? We don't know. But his parents come upstairs. He's whisked back downstairs by dad. And then Renee is the last one to leave the attic. And before she does, she turns and sees her sheet music in the corner, which is weird. Why would that box end up in the attic? 
Also previously, she put books on a shelf and then she found that they were on the floor. So it's as if is somebody moving shit around. I don't know what the deal is. So they put Dalton to bed and I'm like, this isn't good concussion protocol. Like you're not supposed to let a kid sleep (laughs) for like 12 hours after they hit their fucking head. That's a really good point. I'm like, where the fuck is the concussion protocol? It doesn't exist because this guy's got a shiner on his forehead. Like, but no, off to bed. (laughs) And so are Renee and Josh. This conversation is crazy to me. Oh, it's out of this world. Because she's talking to Josh about it. She feels like she got nothing done today because of all the distractions. Which, first of all, girlfriend, cut yourself some slack. You not only sustained three child lives, you also unpacked an entire house in one day. Also, she had apologized to him saying, sorry, I was pissy this morning. He's like, oh, I didn't notice. Um, Neither did I. She wasn't being pissy at all. She was just doing what she needed to do to get through the morning. And I also love that like she's trying to vent about how overwhelmed she feels. And he is giving non-answer after non-answer Empty promise, just being like, I promise it's going to be better here. And there's like an allusion to like, did something happen before? Because she's like, I really just want it to be different in this house. And mm-hmm. he's like, I will, I promise. But there's no reassurance. And then. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Renee says, thanks for giving me some time to work on my music. I hate him. What? What does that even mean? Thanks for giving me some time. Like, she's not allowed to have a fucking passion. <laughs> she's not allowed to have fucking goals. And it then, was That was the craziest to me. But then it gets worse because, you know, she's saying like, oh, I don't know about these songs. I think I have a few that have potential. And he's like, I love all your songs. And she asks, which one's your favorite? And he answers with, you should write a song about me. Doesn't answer the fucking question. And she's like, all of them are about you. And I'm like, you fucking suck dude it's really bad i hate this guy he's bad but you can tell that he doesn't think he's bad he thinks he's cute he thinks he's funny like he's satisfied that their conversation ends with him like tickling her and making her laugh and thinking that all is well in the world even though she just tried to say so much about where she is at and he denied her at every opportunity Now we're at nighttime. Everybody is sleeping. We get a zoom in on Renee and Josh sleeping, and then we get a zoom in on Dalton sleeping. But then the camera does that awesome thing with negative space, which Lee Winnell does in The Invisible Man, Mm. where there's too much room behind him, where you're looking at an empty (laughs) window. And I'm like, why are we looking at this empty window? What the fuck? And this scene comes back later in the movie. So keep that in mind. Bookmark that. The next morning... Madness in the kitchen again, but Dalton hasn't woken up for school yet. So Renee asks Josh, can you go wake Dalton up? So Josh enters the room, tries waking him up, being like, oh, your mother's going to kill us both if you don't get to school on time. Then he starts getting more and more concerned because he is not responsive. Uh -uh. And he starts shaking him. He starts moving his chest and Dalton will not wake up. So then we cut to a scene in a hospital and we have a doctor talking to the parents, telling them basically he's in a coma but all of his tests are coming back normal. So we don't know why he's in this coma. There's no brain trauma, but he has been under for a few days. And then shortly after that bad news, we jump into the future three months later. We are back in the house. Dalton is back in the house. There is a visiting nurse teaching Renee how to insert Dalton's feeding tube. We get like a slow zoom in on Renee as she's taking in this information. She looks 
tired. She looks depressed. You can tell that obviously things have been really, really hard. And this is not the life that she imagined, right? You can tell, especially on the heels of that conversation she had with Josh, where she was so hopeful that things would be different in this house. And now her son is in this crazy coma and she is learning how to insert a feeding tube. So later she's trying to work on music, but she's too upset. She Mm -hmm. looks like shit. She's very forlorn and stressed out as she should be. Callie is down for a nap, so there's a baby monitor right there, and she starts hearing noises that are very staticky. And this was giving me poltergeist. I know you haven't seen poltergeist, but this takes a lot from poltergeist in the sense of like, oh my god, there's a kid in another dimension. They're talking to us through the technology. She turns up the baby monitor, she's holding it, and she's hearing a voice talking. And it's a man's voice saying, There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do. And then I'm like, She's too calm because she then just like takes the baby monitor and starts walking around with it. I'm like, you're acting like you're listening to your neighbor's fight through a wall and not that there might not be somebody in the room with your fucking infant. What the fuck is going on? (laughs) And then the voice continues. I want it. I want it. I want it. Give me it. Give me it. I want it now and screams. And that makes Callie start crying. So Renee runs upstairs, picks the baby up, starts looking around the room in the closet behind the bassinet. Nothing's there all seems well. Nighttime again. And Renee is getting Foster ready for bed. She is alone. Hubby's still not home from work. And she finds a little certificate that he won at school that day. What was it for? Like being nice. But she finds it and congratulates Foster. And you can tell Foster didn't want to bring it up because things at home were so hectic. So you feel bad for him, but it's a cute moment. And then he tells her that he's scared of Dalton. And at first she kind of takes it like, I know I'm scary, but he's like, no, like I want to change rooms. I don't like how Dalton walks around at night, (laughs) which is like, what the fuck? And this is again, love our moments of (laughs) criticizing how these people react, but mom is just like, okay, honey. She doesn't really seem to take it seriously that her son is saying that Dalton walks around at night. Next scene, I was like, shit, kid, I would want to change rooms too, because there's just like the EKG beeping. (laughs) I'm somebody that if there is, there is a hint of a sound going on, I can't sleep. I am an earplugs person. I'm a white noise person. Like I can't hear anything tapping, beeping, like I'll go nuts. So the fact that this kid's heart monitor is just boop, 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 boop all fucking night, I'd be out of my goddamn mind. And this is where I was confused. Was it presumed that they shared a room prior to that or that no. Foster just didn't want to be as close to Dalton? Yeah, he's he's right across the hall. It looks yeah, like they okay. sleep with their doors open. That's what I thought. So he can like look over and see his brother in his bed, like from his bed. So Foster stands up and shuts the door because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to look at Dalton while he's sleeping. But then he hears creaking and thudding on the other side of the door once mm. he closes the door and then he just runs under the covers and hides. My it's God, really sad. So later... Renee and Josh are in bed and she's updating him on the weird thing with Callie. And then all of a sudden there's some hard knocks at the door. Very unusual. It's super late. So Josh goes downstairs to inspect and turns on, you know, the foyer light. He goes to turn on the patio light. It's burnout. So he uses a flashlight to try to see who it is, opens the door. No one's there. He shuts the door, arms the security alarm. Then Callie starts crying as she does And when Renee, oh my God, I just got chills thinking about this. When Renee goes in to see what's up, she flips on the light and sees a fucking scary guy in Callie's window, like looking into the room and freaks. She starts screaming and then the security alarm goes off. 
Oh my God. So many things are going on right now. So Josh confirms that everyone's still alive upstairs, goes downstairs. The front door is wide open, wide open. (laughs) I just wrote, ah. (laughs) (laughs) So he turns on more lights downstairs. Well, of course, shuts the door first. Then he turns on more lights downstairs, arms himself with a fire poker. Just when you think we're kind of easing back in to things, the alarm sounds again and again, the front door is wide open and then things calm down again and then we fade to the next day. Essentially, and it's weird because like the chain on the door is swinging and he had chained the door. So it's like that can't open unless it's from the inside. Oh my God. I didn't even notice that. This sequence is so unnerving. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Next day. Oh, yeah, this is when I wrote Josh is apparently a teacher. I was thinking that he was like some business tycoon because of all the late nights he was having. But he's just a fucking teacher. His ties look too cheap for that. (laughs) And also I wrote no way they can afford this house with one parent who's a teacher. Yeah, absolutely not. I don't know where the fuck they are, but... And like Renee is giving in-between jobs energy or she doesn't seem like she's working with these songs that she's writing right now. So it is giving one income, but also like... You know what it is? What? It's fucking Kate from Orphan writing her little (gasps) piano music while whoever, the architect in their big ass fucking house on the hill. for the architect, it makes sense. Yeah, not a teacher. You're very right. I mean, this is like in this economy that house is like at least like six hundred fifty seven hundred fifty thousand dollars but maybe it's old and needs some things i don't know but i can't believe he's a teacher so josh stays late at work and it is nighttime and picture this like let's say josh's work day is over at three he's got to be sitting at that desk for an extra like six hours he's spending like so much time there he starts having visions that resemble those black and white images we saw in the opening credits of the movie Yes, to clarify, the visions of the boy sleeping in the opening are not of Dalton. Mm-mm. They mirror Dalton's scene very well. Also, a little Easter egg here. There's a chalk drawing of Billy the Puppet from Saw behind Josh. <gasps> Ew. And that's because James Wan and Lee Whannell made the Saw franchise together. Wow, that's nice. It's a nice little Easter egg. A nice little scary egg. I actually think that there's a Billy the Puppet in The Invisible Man, too. There's some spray paint somewhere. Oh. Yeah, they like to hide him places in their other films. (laughs) I didn't know the puppet's name was Billy. His name's Billy. Hmm. The next day, the nurse is back, and she's just finishing up her normal checks on Dalton. She offers to help change the bedding, but Renee's like, no, it's fine. I got it. So after the nurse leaves, she pulls back the covers and finds a bloody handprint with, like, long, long fingers. (laughs) On Dalton's bed. Next night, or maybe that night, yes. Josh is asleep at work, nodding off in his fucking chair, <laughs> and checks his voicemail, and it's Renee being like, yo, can you come home, please? When he pulls up, she is waiting on the porch, and it is 10.30 p.m. Have you ever come back from school at 10.30 p.m. besides no. chaperoning your prom? I don't know, like, what's scarier, going home to your haunted house or being in, like, an empty school at 10.30 p.m.? I don't know. <laughs> like, honestly, I guess it's, like, pick your evil. Renee is questioning him, and Josh is very defensive, being like, I had tests to grade. And Renee tells Josh that she's scared of the house. She said it's like a sickness. Ever since they've moved here, things started going wrong. And she goes into this speech saying, I need you, but you're never here. Where are you? You're not here in this situation with me. You're just avoiding it like anything stressful. And Josh is like, I don't avoid stressful things. (laughs) And... She's like, fine, then deal with this. And then throws the sheets at him, the bloody handprint. He just looks at it like, uh, okay. She got you. 
So Josh is asleep on the couch later that night, as he should be. (laughs) And then we get a fade to the opening of the little boy in the bed. So is Josh dreaming of this? This is the second time he's had a flashback to this. And this time there's an additional scene of a point of view shot walking through a hallway with red candles. And it seems very spooky. Like this Also very sexy. Also, yeah, you're right. It's, it's like, like it, why is it so sexy? It's like foreplay for Hellraiser, <laughs> yeah, maybe. what the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> but then we also get like a mirroring shot of Dalton sleeping, looking past Dalton, looking at the window and seeing handprints on the window. Mm. But this wakes Renee up. So is this Renee's dream? I didn't like that this was set up as a Renee dream. Oh, yeah, because she does, like, wake up screaming. To the handprints on Dalton's thing. But it starts as Josh's dream and then ends as Renee's dream. But it's like Renee wouldn't have any reason to be dreaming of the first thing. So Renee wakes up screaming. It's like 2 a.m. And then she looks out the window, I guess, onto their, like, bedroom patio balcony type situation. Mm -hmm. And she sees a figure pacing outside. And it walks back and forth by the window multiple times. She's getting freaked out. And then the one time it passes by the window. And then when it walks by, it's inside the room. (sighs) And this is the same figure that we saw in Callie's room. And this figure's name is the long-haired fiend. I like to call him Johnny Depp. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of looks like Johnny Depp. Yeah, a little bit. But of course she freaks the fuck out. She is attacked. And she's calling for Josh, who's sleeping downstairs, but he eventually comes to, runs upstairs, and finds Renee post-attack. And essentially, right then and there, they're like, we're moving. He says he believes her, which I think is nice. Well, it's sad because she proceeds that with, don't you dare not believe me. Please, Mm. please believe me. Like, she has to beg him to believe. So the next scene, we're in the new house. Josh's mom, Lorraine, has arrived. And she is having a conversation with Renee as they are unpacking together. And she has great energy. Wonderful lady. She's super supportive of Renee. But she's also giving, like... She was a little passive aggressive to begin with. Oh, I thought she was giving energy, like, I understand what's going on here. Like, she seemed to be in the know immediately. Like, what does she say? She's like... You do whatever you need to do to get through this. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I think because it starts off with her looking at a picture, a family picture of the four of them being like, I'm surprised you got Josh to stand still (laughs) for a photo. I think she also says something along the lines of like, oh, I can't believe you're going through this again, like the moving process. And Uh it was Renee's call to move. So it was like a little like, ooh, I'm like, she's passive aggressive until she's not. And then, <laughs> then yeah, then she is supportive of Renee. It's like, listen, I don't know what you're going through. Josh doesn't know what you're going through. It doesn't matter. You just do what you need to do to get through it. So that's where it's like, it ends supportive, but it starts a little like mother-in-law. Because yeah. <laughs> I guess like without that context, without like knowing who she is, yes. So she leaves and things seem a little lighter. But then as Renee takes out the trash, I love this because, you know, we get a shot of her taking the trash out and she goes out the door. We're still looking at her from the inside of the house, but we're following where she's going through the windows as she puts the stuff in the trash. And her beautiful, I know this piano song. It's by a guy, Ludovico, and I don't know how to say his last name. It's like this gorgeous song all of a sudden like cuts out. And starts playing, what is the name of the song? Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Okay. And at first she doesn't notice, but then she does. 
And she looks into the house from where she has just thrown out the trash outside and sees a little boy in like, I don't know, early 1900s clothes with like a little page hat dancing in the living room. Well, did you notice that he was in a scene before that? No. When she's, <laughs> she goes into Foster's room and cleans up a snack that he left on the bed and then she's walking through the laundry room and then she picks up a laundry basket and he is standing facing the corner. <gasps> very Blair Witch project, but it's very fast where it's like she removes the laundry basket. She's walking and he's standing facing the corner as if he was being punished. <gasps> and then it's not until she goes outside and the music stops that there's an intentional shot of him dancing with his back to the camera, but he was in the shot. And it's like one of those hidden things that if you miss it, but if you catch it, it's terrifying. You're like, what the fuck is that? I'm so glad I missed it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so she has a look of horror on her face. I'm sure she's thinking like, no fucking way. So she goes back in the house and she's moving through the hallways and the rooms trying to find him. And you think she's going to catch him, but she just finds like an actively rocking horse as if the boy had just been there, but left. So she follows his laugh and into Dalton's room and the boy pops out of like a wardrobe and runs away from Renee and then she just like sits on the floor and cries. What else would you do? (laughs) But it's also like, that's kind of what your life is with your living kids. Like they're all over the place. You're trying to track them down in the house. You're trying to like make the food, blah, blah, blah. But like this little ghost boy ended up serving as a little bit of a comedic moment. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but it kind of was. I think it's like with ghosts, you're used to them being almost, you know, Casper, like transparent or like Mm. seen for a second. But the fact that this wardrobe fully opens, a figure fully jumps out (laughs) of it that is like in black and white for some reason and fully like looks at Renee, laughs in her face and runs away. It's like disarming because you're not expecting them to have an interaction like Mm -hmm. that. It doesn't feel tangible. But then she's like, not only am I seeing this, this just happened. Like, I'm going nuts. This is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, that's such a good point, too, because I kept thinking, oh, well, the ghost is just going to disappear, but he doesn't. So it's like to be seeing this boy and experiencing all of these things for so long. Yeah, I feel like you can't deny that there's weird shit going on. So later, Josh gets home to Renee talking to a priest on the couch, and he's like, this is the first line of a joke, right? Guy comes home to find his wife with a priest, and I thought that was funny. It was funny. Then Lorraine enters, and the priest, you know, finishes up the conversation with Renee, is like, okay, I'll follow up with you, and then exits, and Josh is like, okay, what the fuck is going on? And Renee explains, listen, something's going on. I'm seeing things, and Lorraine backs her up. She's like, I've seen it myself. You know, last night I had this dream about the house that you guys are staying in. And I was wandering the house and looking at you and Renee in bed. And then I saw Dalton and there was a figure standing in the corner. And I asked him who he was and he said he was a visitor. And then when I asked him what he wanted, he pointed to Dalton. And we get shots of like what that looks like. And it's like a shadowy figure, very Babadook-y, standing in the corner and pointing at Dalton's hospital bed. And it's very creepy. And as Lorraine is finishing up the story. (laughs) Oh my God, I just remembered. I just, I just like re-jump scared myself. (laughs) Because as she's telling the story, we get shots of Renee telling the story, shots of her actual dream, and then shots of Josh reacting or not reacting to the story. And it's a very fixed shot of Josh standing against this blue background. And then at the end of the story, you get that same shot of Josh, but then there's like a demon face like right next to his head. 
And this is who we're going to come to learn to be the lipstick face demon. And he is our main antagonist. And Lorraine shoots back and is like, oh my God, I see something. And Renee's like, oh my God. Like, and Josh is like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like if I was in his seat, I don't know that I would be as calm as he is, but I also would understand like his level of misunderstanding at uh, this point, you know? I would be screaming. I feel like if I'm with somebody and they start screaming, I start screaming. Well, especially they should be screaming because then there's commotion in Dalton's room. Oh, yeah. Lots of banging. Lots of banging. The door looks like it doesn't open initially right away, but then Josh finally forces it open and the room is completely trashed. And Dalton is on the floor, like on his back. I don't know. Was he like thrown from his bed? Really bad in there. And so Lorraine is like, look, I know someone you can call. Ghostbusters. (laughs) No. (laughs) Her name's Elise. <laughs> the Ghostbuster. Yeah, Elise. <laughs> Rainier. Elise Rainier. And she's a psychic. And f- before she arrives, her paranormal investigators arrive. <laughs> Spe- the shining light yeah. of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was so glad to see them. Specs and Tucker. And I wrote, they set up a bunch of nerd shit and then nerd out over one of Josh's action figures. And what Specs is like, you should have kept the box. <laughs> I also called Tucker the Hot Pocket King. Because he's just standing there eating a Hot Pocket with a straight face being like, you know, you could just have like a disbalanced thing of chemicals and you could be hallucinating. And he's just eating this Hot Pocket very fervently. Like the irony of an unbalanced chemical. He's like eating a Hot Pocket. I I doubt that that's very... (laughs) So I guess they're here to canvas the space and make sure there's actually enough action going on to warrant Elise arriving. So Tucker is like, I got this and moves through the house with this, I guess, like special flashlight where he can put different lenses on and shine different lights, maybe hoping he can detect something. And he does. He sees a vision of a woman in Dalton's room and then just comes back and is like, call Elise. (laughs) So Elise enters and says to Josh, oh, it's so good to see you again. Ooh. And he's like, again? And (laughs) she's like, I've known your mom, Lorraine, for a very long time. And you see Elise walking throughout the house, and she's like looking up into like the corners of the room. You could tell she's seeing things that no one else is seeing. And she confirms like, "Mm mm-mm, bad wiring isn't the problem here. (laughs) So all of them go to visit Dalton in his bedroom, Elise hears a creaking in the ceiling above his bed and starts speaking to Specs. So Specs is kind of like a translator to Elise because Elise is the medium or the psychic that is seeing, you know, what's going on. And Specs is kind of like her scribe. So he'll either write down what she's saying or draw what she's seeing. So he begins drawing what she's seeing. You hear some of what Elise is saying, but not all of it. She says, blood red face black arms, black legs, black body, pitch black eyes, like two dark holes. He has hooves for feet and long spidery fingernails. And then, you know, Renee interrupts at this point because she's like, what the actual fuck? So she turns the lights on, looks for this creature. Of course, no one's there, but reveals the photo. Again, it looks like the Babadook in the picture book over Dalton's bed, like looming over him. Just like minus the top hat plus a red face. Yes. Mm-hmm. So next they have a conversation where Elise explains that Dalton is not in a coma. She says, quote, it's not your house that's haunted. It's your son, which interesting twist. So she explains that Dalton was born with the ability to do something called astral travel. Projection. Astral projection. Which makes him a traveler. Yes. 
and had been unknowingly doing so in his sleep, probably believing he was dreaming for quite some time. So she goes on to say he was never afraid because he just thought he was dreaming, but he traveled too far and got lost in a place called The Further. The Further is a world far beyond our own, yet it's all around us, a place without time as we know it. It's a dark realm filled with the tortured souls of the dead, a place not meant for the living. That's where Dalton is. And the problem is that with his astral body gone, he's just left us with his physical body, which is an empty vessel. And she goes on to explain that there are entities surrounding him that crave life that want in on that body because he's alive. Malevolent, insidious creatures, but in particular, a demon once in on Dalton so that he can use his body to cause harm. And that the longer Dalton's astral body is away from his physical body, the easier it is to possess him. Not looking good. Not looking good here. So Renee, she's listening. Renee is listening. Lorraine is listening. But Josh interrupts this and he's just basically like, I'm sorry, but no, no way. So he's upset and he asks Elise to leave. Renee is like, we invited her here. Can't you just listen to what she has to say? And he says, no. She's like, why don't you believe her? Why don't you believe me? He's like, I moved houses for you. Of course I believe you. And then yeah, Elise leaves. This scene that's next drives me crazy (laughs) in the exposition department. So then you see Josh sitting next to Dalton's sleeping body and he's, you know, talking to him. He's like, where are you, buddy? Did you go somewhere? No, you didn't. You're right here. Like, just come back. Just wake up. You know, he's talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. But then behind him, a picture falls off the wall and it's a drawn picture of the red-faced demon. And then you get this shot. Of Dalton's drawings on the wall, which first of all, we know that they have moved house since Dalton has been in a coma, correct? Mm -hmm. So then Josh, as if for the first time, is looking at these pictures and intermingled amongst the family stick figure portraits and the pictures of ponies. There's pictures of the fucking red faced demon and black eyes and like crazy, you know, demonic kid drawings. And I'm like, who hung these up? (laughs) Like, you're, you're not telling me that Renee, who's in on the Ghostbusters theory, is being like, mm, oh my god, look at his artwork, I'm just gonna hang this up, he's so fucking talented. Like, this kid must have, like, gone through an entire black crayon being like, <laughs> like, this shit's just hanging on a corkboard in his room next to his sleeping body. Who hung this shit up? Maybe that was, like, the one thing that Josh did. Or, like, Lorraine did yeah. or something like that. But even Lorraine's in on it, so I'm just kind of like, and then... The fucking cherry on top. There's a picture of, you know, a hand-drawn picture of Dalton sleeping in his bed with red letters. Last night I watched myself sleep and then I flew away. (laughs) What the actual fuck is this? Like, make it so Renee finds the pictures of the drawings under his bed. Mm. Or make while they're in the midst of the move. These shits are hanging on the wall. This kid's been asleep for months. And you're telling me you're looking at all these demon faces and the fact that like, mm, last night I just, I walked when I'm sleeping and this is, I'm, and then I flew away like, and you're hanging this up and like, what? Get a child psychologist. 
this is where I started getting mad at this movie because I'm like, you're doing too much or you're not doing enough. I don't so know of all what it the is. things that astral projecting included, this is the most unbelievable moment. I can believe the astral projection. <laughs> I can't believe that Renee in her right mind hung up these pictures of demon faces and an actual written out diary entry of him astral projecting was like, mm, my kid's got an imagination. After you just left the house because it was haunted. Mother of fucking God. Well, thank goodness Josh found these drawings because it's the only thing he would listen to. Not his wife. He had to come to his own conclusion. I guess he goes, he sees his wife and then they embrace. And then the next thing you know, Elise returns. Oh yeah. Josh cries. <laughs> and uh-huh. then they embrace. You deserve it. <laughs> So Elise returns and they're setting up to do a seance. So she's back. Spex and Tucker are there too. She explains that they have energy sensing cameras that will go off when they sense like electromagnetic shifts in the room. And she is going to try to make contact with Dalton. She puts on this like gas mask. This shit felt kinky to me. I don't know why this was necessary. (laughs) And then Spex was next to her and he had on headphones and there was a tube attached to the front of Elise's gas mask that she would talk into that would feed into one of Spex's earphones. So he was writing down everything that she was saying. And she was explaining that during the seance when she was trying to communicate, she'd be speaking very quietly. So I guess this is a way to funnel the sound so somebody can translate. They make contacts and Dalton is warning them right away of a man with fire on his face. Okay, which is like, why don't you just say he has a red face? I, like, he, There's nothing about his face that looks like it's on fire. It, he looks like Darth Maul. Yeah, maybe he was in like the simile portion of his elementary school uh, education and he just thought he, he really, poetic. yeah, he really just needed to paint the picture. So Elise is trying to get Dalton to come to her. Dalton is saying things like, you have to be quiet. They'll hear. She's like, they won't hear, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, somebody is calling somebody a filthy bitch. <laughs> is this part of the kinky too? <laughs> yeah. You bitch, you whore. I know who you are. I'll rip your insides out. Like, yeah. yeah. So it seems like somebody is saying this to Elise. So then Elise ends up screaming and seems to faint in her chair. And then next thing you fucking know, the heart monitor that was in the background goes flat. You look over with like a camera that mimics how a person would move their head. And Dalton is not in his fucking bed. Then you jerk back over and see Dalton standing up. He lifts up his little tiny hand, whacks it on the table, and then sends everybody back in like a massive shockwave, (laughs) which is like... What the fuck is going on? The Dalton standing there in his (laughs) monkey and banana PJs is one of my favorite scares of the movie because you don't know where he is and you just see him standing right next to Josh and he's like, what? (laughs) Boom. (laughs) It really is something to see. There's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Wait a minute. So photos are flashing. Mm -hmm. So the light, you're only seeing things when the photos are flashing because the lights are off because seance energy... A closet door opens and there's three ghosts standing there. It's the dancing boy and then two women in white dresses. Dalton smacks the shit out of Specs and he goes flying. <laughs> the long-haired fiend approaches Josh and Renee. He corners Renee up against a wall and licks her face oh. with a long-ass Freddy tongue. It's gross. Mm-hmm. Elise then grabs Dalton by the shoulders and was screaming at him, Leave this vessel! Leave this boy! Leave this vessel! The lights turn on, everything stops, 
Dalton collapses again. He's still in the coma, but he's alive. So this night terror experience didn't kill him. And then you have Tucker and Specs reviewing the footage. And I just like how Specs has one side of his face on a raw steak. And then there is also another raw steak laying on his face. Like, <laughs> like it's raw meat. Like he has his face sandwiched between raw meat. Anyway. I, Dude, I didn't know people still did that. I don't yeah, think like, you that's do. That's such a weird thing to do. Get a bag of vegetables. Not a fucking sirloin. some ice? <laughs> don't but, waste the New York strip on your fucking face, Specs. Yeah, I was also thinking that. Not in these grocery prices. <laughs> <laughs> so later that night, Lorraine arrives and she also gives us some exposition. She explains that she's known Elise for decades and Elise had previously helped Josh when he was about eight years old. So it is revealed that Josh also possesses the ability to astral project, though he has suppressed it within his memory like years ago. Yes, he was scared of an old woman who would visit him at night. AKA that scary motherfucker from the beginning scene. And the reason that they knew that's who she was is because every childhood photo of Josh contained this woman in the background getting closer and closer and closer to him. So that's why there was no childhood photos of Josh in the beginning, because Lorraine had hid them all in an attempt to make Josh not remember what he went through. Yes. So Elise is saying, basically, Josh, you know how to do this. You need to go and get your son. And then Renee says... You've always been stronger than me. To Josh. Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? What? That feels like it makes no sense. I really don't understand where that dialogue comes from. It was like very shocking to me. It's just really pointing out that Renee is kind of useless. A little yeah, bit. But also like she spent the most time in the haunted house. Like she dealt with a lot of shit. I feel like she could be so much more because she's already like present for all of these things and it doesn't happen. I don't know. It's also not like Dalton and Josh have an established close relationship. Like, for example, in the poltergeist, the dad wants to go in after Carol Ann, but she's like, no, she's not going to come to you. I'm her mother. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's kind of what I wanted to see. But it's like, no, sorry, Renee, you don't know how to astral project. So Josh has got to go. Yeah, he's got to go. And also, I guess, face his repressed past. Which, like, whatever, Josh. I don't really care about your arc. So anyway, Elise puts Josh in a trance. And just when he stands up and is like, I don't know, I can't actually do this. He turns around and sees that his body is sitting in a chair and that he has actually astral projected into the living room. So he grabs a lantern, walks into the darkness, sees Dalton. But then I guess Dalton runs away from him. So he chases him. And then he's looking around and he's like in the foyer of his house and he sees a bride walk upstairs, not the black bride, a different bride. So Josh follows her and then there's a woman crying in the corner of, I believe, Callie's room. He's asking, like, have you seen my son? Then he hears a child laugh. The woman disappears. So time and space aren't a thing in the further. Like people are disappearing. Sound is being thrown. He hears whistling. So he goes back down to the living room and he sees three people in the living room sitting very still. One is a whistling man, one is a woman who's ironing things, and then the other one is another woman who's sitting there drinking tea. All right. Then he hears a gun cock in the next room. <laughs> so he walks into the dining room and he sees a woman in white loading a gun, but then a gun fires in the next room. So he's like, okay, what the fuck? So he just keeps like following the noise because he's like, what the fuck's going on? He sees the three people on the couch shot dead by the lady in the white dress, who is known as like the doll lady, I think. I don't know. There's a lot of ghosts in this universe. 
all four then appear in a circle around him and smile at him. So like lots of time and space things happening. He goes back upstairs and he sees a red door and he flashes back to seeing Dalton draw a picture of a red door. So he's like, oh, this is significant. (laughs) But then the long haired fiend shows up and they get into a tussle. And you see that Josh is struggling in the present. He's like choking as he's being choked in the further. But Elise reassures him, listen, you're alive. You're stronger than him. And Josh is like, yeah, I am. And then shoots the long haired fiend across the room and he enters the red door. The demon's lair is hot as fuck. It is hot. The fireplace, there's like fog, the wall candelabras. I was like, it's giving a little bit of the Phantom of the Opera, like sexy sewer house energy. Yeah. Like it's very cozy in there. Not the worst prison to be in. You could do worse. (laughs) You could do worse. But he finds Dalton chained and frees him. But then the red demon sees. And like he's up in his, what would you, it's like an overlook. Like a workshop. There's a lot of close-ups on dolls and marionettes. And then he, I think he's sharpening his fingernails yes. on a blade. He also reminds me so much of who is that villain from the Powerpuff Girls? Him. Him. Yes. He is giving such strong him energy. That's such a good comparison. And that song is playing again, Tiptoe Through the Window. Tulips. Tulips Through the Window. Tiptoe Through the Tulips. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Roses in the windowsill. Yeah, yeah, there has to be a window. Okay, so (laughs) I will not let there not be a window. So then, of course, he sees that Josh is there with Dalton, and he starts to chase after them. The house starts shaking in the present. Josh runs with Dalton in his arms back through the red door, through the house, down the stairs. No, Renee's like, we need to help him. And Elise is like, no, he needs to find us. So the ghosts start encircling Dalton and Josh in the further. They're all reaching for them because they're alive. And remember what Elise said? They want the vessel. Now there's two empty vessels because mm-hmm. Dalton's empty and Josh is empty because they're both astral projecting. And I was thinking about this, like Renee is yelling by the instruction of Elise at Josh's body to come back, come back, come back. And you can hear her voice in the further. And I think it's just acting as something to attract everybody, like not just Josh, like everybody can hear that and knows where to go, which to me is kind of like, I don't know, Elise, like, I don't know if that was the best advice. Spex and Tucker start looking around because they realize there's some shit happening. Spex opens a drawer and a hand reaches out. There's some like haunted mansion shit happening. And Elise is like, oh my God, they're all trying to cross over into our world. You know, all the ghosts kind of start appearing to everybody now. It's getting crazy. Josh and Dalton appear to the front door of the new house because we failed to mention when Josh was walking through the house, it was the layout of the old house, which was the house that Dalton got trapped in and not the new house. So then I was like, how far away did they move? Are they in the same neighborhood? Is he just running down the streets in the further, like in the upside down version of their neighborhood and looking for their house now? Like, did he catch an Uber in the further? Like, how did he get there? That's a good question. I'm just like, I want to know. I just want to know. That's all. No problem. I just want to know. I just want to (laughs) know. Josh and Dalton appear where their family is, where Josh's body is and where Dalton's body is. And they get into like the kitchen. And then all of a sudden, Josh is out of gas and Dalton's trying to pull him along. He's like, go ahead of me. Go ahead of me. But then Josh turns and says, you. 
and the Black Bride is there. And she's looking as scary as ever mm-hmm. um, on the other side of that window. And he starts talking to her and being like, I'm not afraid of you. It's over. He just keeps screaming, get away from me. I'm not scared of you anymore. Leave me alone. Leave him alone. And then at the same time, the lipstick face demon is chasing Dalton down the wall. Ugh. And it's creepy as fuck. Tries to pull him under the bed. Again, very poltergeist. There's a lot happening, but then you see the camera zoom in on Dalton's body as if someone is advancing on it, and then zoom in on Josh's body as if someone is advancing on it, and we're presuming that they are finding their own bodies, because then both of them wake up. Lorraine gets Dalton and carries him to the living room, and then Josh wakes up in the armchair. Yes. And we are all celebration and smiles, how joyful all the other spirits have disappeared from their home because our people are awake. So the dream world, I guess, has faded for now. We have some fun banter from <laughs> Tucker and Specs, as per usual, arguing over who has the most important role <laughs> in Elise's seances, which I love. As the family celebrates their victory, Elise is in the living room with Josh and somehow senses that something's not quite right. Josh is looking at his childhood photos of himself, and he's like, oh, I guess I don't need these anymore. Hands them back to Elise, and when Elise touches his hand, she, like, looks down and sees something that we don't see, and we're Mm -hmm. like, what the fuck? So then she picks up a camera and takes a picture of him. And he becomes enraged, starts yelling at her, why would you do that? Why would you do that? You know how I feel about pictures. And he strangles her to death. He's yelling and I wrote like nobody hears this because you also get other shots of Renee, Lorraine and Dalton in the kitchen of Dalton scooping this fucking pasta into his mouth because he hasn't eaten solid food in fucking months. (laughs) Josh is screaming like, why, why, why? And I'm like, no one's fucking, it's, you're in the next room. Yeah. Is there some further magic happening? But Renee hears some commotion, but not what's happening. Mm -hmm. So she goes to investigate and discovers Elisa's dead body in the chair. Oh God. I mean, of course she screams. She is looking all around the house. She's screaming for Josh, 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 Josh. She can't find him. She circles back around to the living room and finds a photo that was the one Elise took. And when she picks it up, it shows that although Elise had taken a picture of Josh, the evil woman from his childhood is the one in the shot, showing that she has taken over his body. The movie ends with him being like, Renee, I'm right here. Yes, and she turns around and screams, and then that's it. That's the end of the movie. This fucking confuses me because you mean to tell me that the eight-year-old who's been astral projecting in his sleep can fend the fucking lipstick demon off for like five months, but then Josh, who's been doing his shit apparently his entire life, is up in the further for maybe 30 minutes and then gets got by the bride in black? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're supposed to think that because Josh had been having those visions throughout the movie, like maybe he wasn't such a stranger to the further after all. Maybe she like knew he would be coming. Maybe she caught wind of his son. I understand. It's just like the thing that had been explained is the longer that you're away from your physical body, the weaker the connectivity gets. Mm -hmm. So if Dalton had been away for five months and other people have been trying to possess him and he's a kid where Josh had been like the most alive most recently? Is it just that the bride in black has such an impact over him and Mm. his development that like she scares him in a way that Dalton isn't scared? I don't know. That's a really good point. I don't know. It is strange. Also, I was thinking Dalton probably shouldn't be eating so much food that fast. I was thinking you'd vomit so quick. That's like very unhealthy and not good. He should be taken to the hospital. (laughs) No concussion protocol. No post-coma protocol. (laughs) 
There's no <laughs> protocol happening. Do you know, like, all of these ghosts that we see, do any of them end up, besides the lady in black, because I know that she will end up coming back, but do any of those other ghosts ever get some sort of backstory? Like, why do we see that family get shot in the living room? So from what I understand, James Wan and Lee Winnell introduced a lot of characters just to kind of see which ones would stick, and the bride in black obviously kind of stuck the landing in a way. I don't want to say that the rest of them don't make appearances, but in my recollection of the prequels, I've only seen one of them. It's a new demon that isn't in this first one. Like the universe has a couple ghosts, but that's not to say that they don't all make appearances in all of them. But I think the Bride in Black is the one that gets the most developed backstory, especially in Insidious 2, which is the one that follows this one because it follows Josh being taken over and whatever. So some post-plot literature. So I tried to find some things on Renee and it was kind of hard, right? Because Renee is this very interesting one-tone character that like we just wanted so much more for. But I found this essay, Female Madness as the Driving Force Behind the Monstrous in the Insidious Film Series by Maya Panzik. And this is talking about the further representing maternal anxiety. The assumption that the monster represents the articulation of anxiety experienced by the female protagonist who is struggling to live in accordance with patriarchal norms is upheld not only by the numerous similarities between the two, but also by the fact that the monster ultimately causes changes in the family that improve the status of the female protagonists. Namely, by disrupting the traditional family home and transforming it into a haunting ground, the monster forces the male characters to alter their own personalities as well as definitions of parenting. It's only after the monster emerges and drives the female protagonist into madness that the male protagonists accept their share of domestic and parental obligation and or attempt to understand their life. In Insidious, Josh is the last person to acknowledge the monster's presence. Calling himself the voice of reason, he refuses to accept Elise's theory on astral projection as well as his mother's testimony that she herself had seen the demon. The fact that it is three women who all acknowledge the monster before Josh does suggests that they share similar experience due to their sex or gender, which enables such recognition. More significantly, the horrific situation cannot be resolved without Josh's participation, since he is the only one apart from his son who has the ability to astral project. In this view, astral projection can be read simply as the ability to traverse spaces, something traditionally ascribed to men and forbidden to women. It is not until Josh sees Dalton's drawings of the demon Elise had described that he accepts her guidance. The experience within the further is of utmost importance for Josh is forced to endure the same apprehensive atmosphere of confinement that the demons and his wife have been trapped within. Wow. That is so interesting because, yeah, like, the movie ends up hinging on Josh's ability to face his past and, like, for the first time, become aware of it and try to manage it. Yeah, like you said, it's like, we don't care about your arc, Josh, but the whole movie's about his arc. It's just frustrating. I don't know. I don't really feel like I'm on his side. No, because even if you look at Dalton, the reason that he's in the predicament he's in is because it's an ancestral thing or a hereditary thing passed down from Josh. Right, true. Renee had no responsibility in this. And another part of that essay, I didn't quote it, but I was reading about it makes it seem like Renee is internalizing the blame for all of this because you see she's the one that's like falling apart, having to deal with the feeding tube and not able to write her music. Like Josh continues to go to work, but she takes the blame for this, even going back to the ladder rung because she's the one who broke it. Yeah. And it's the same thing that made Dalton hit his head. And when we're under the presumption that he's in a coma, 
Like, she's carrying the burden of that. Mm-hmm. So it isn't until Josh is forced to participate is where it proves that Renee can't do this alone. Because otherwise right. she would have. <laughs> yes. Yes. But instead we have to wait until Josh gets his shit together. I guess for the sake of the family unit, I don't know, trying to get the other parent on board. Because he is kind of like really taking a back seat. You never see him do something unless, well, unless he's reacting to like a scream. Like when he gets Dalton up from bed, it's because Renee asks him, right? Like he doesn't really seem like he's taking any sort of autonomy in this working family unless he's told to do so with the exception of when he goes into the further to try to get his son. And then he ends up fucking it up. Which is interesting because what does it say when you finally have this character confronting this scary part of his past and then he fails? What does that mean? I don't know. And he's so avoidant the entire time because she even draws a parallel of his behaviors. Like you always avoid everything, whether it's parking tickets or anything stressful. So it's like, how long has she been alone in like this realm's situation? Mm. And now you're expecting him to traverse spatial planes to like show up for your family. And he can't even do that. (laughs) Is there ever a movie where like they try to get him out of the further? The second one. Oh, okay. Speaking of. I wrote a little bit of a timeline because I always like to know when franchises have like four or five movies in them and timelines start getting shifty, I always like a breakdown. I like an explanation and that's exactly what this article, Here's How to Watch the Insidious Movies in Order Chronologically and by Release Date by Lauren Gilmore did for me because this is what I appreciate. So we have a little bit of a half seat situation. So if you want to go in chronological order of the Insidious universe, you want to watch parts of Insidious The Last Key, which is the most recent release, which came out in 2018, because that movie is focused on Elise and her abilities, but it's flashback to Elise's childhood. So it's like how she explored her abilities for the first time. Hmm. And then you want to watch Insidious Chapter 3, which follows Elise on a different case before she even meets the Lamberts. It's completely separate. I would say it's the most standalone, and I've seen it. It's creepy. I like it. And then if you're going in order, the other part of Insidious, the last key, obviously you're going to watch the entire thing at once. But the present timeline of that is present Elise battling demons. And the end of that movie sets up the original because she sees Dalton in the further when she's finishing the other case that she's on. So it sets up the original. So then Insidious, which came out first in 2010, 2011, depending on where you were, is Elise working with the Lamberts to save Dalton in the present. And then there's Insidious Chapter 2, which came out in 2013, where you see Elise working from beyond the grave. Okay. To help Josh's possession after the events of the first one. And that movie even ends on a cliffhanger where you think all is well and Elise realizes there's more to fear. I don't know if it's with the Lamberts or if it's because of another reason. They leave it on a cliffhanger for a reason. But chronologically, you want to watch Insidious the Last Key, Insidious Chapter 3, Insidious, and Insidious Chapter 2. Okay. Of the four movies. Because... Insidious 5 is coming out in July 2023, or that's when it's anticipated to come out as a summer release in 2023. You're going to have Patrick Wilson directing it, and Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, and Ty Simpkins, who plays Dalton, all reprising their roles. Okay. The film is set 10 years after the events of Insidious Chapter 2 and follows Dalton as he begins college and his repressed demons come back to haunt him. As they do in college. So that's supposed to come out next summer. But that's where we're going. We're jumping off Insidious Chapter 2, which obviously we have not covered in this. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. You let us know. 
but we're continuing on the back end of the franchise. And I've read in different places that Lin Shay was interested in coming back, but isn't sure if she's coming back. I feel like they're just doing one of those sneaky things Mm. where like she might be there, maybe she won't be there, but we don't know. But at least those three are confirmed to come back. Okay. So that's it. That's Insidious. If you would like to reach out, send us an email, suggestions, anything, feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com and or follow us on Instagram, also at thehorrorspodcast. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.